back everybody to the Stat Dose podcast. We're here doing an up-to-date dose today, which is which is nice. We haven't done one of those in a while. Um, and we're talking about the fever in under fives, nice guidelines. Um, it's October, no it isn't, it's November 2019. Uh, this month, nice released an updated version of that, so we thought we'd take that opportunity to, to discuss some of the key points and just go through that. We should probably start, as we always do, with some introductions. I was going to say definition, I thought, no, look around the room. No. So it's a bit, bit of a mixed bag today. We've got Joe, Joe's back. I've been long awaited. Yeah, we've been away a long time. That's why I like that we're in, we're in a circle right now. Yeah. And this is good. Yeah. This is what I want when I'm seeing a paediatric sort of patient. So it's a time. Everybody around me going, okay. do you agree with my decision? Because <laughs> I really don't know. Of course not. No. Um, and we've got uh, Hugh and Laura back. Hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's more enthusiastic about this podcast than <laughs> some of us are normal on this podcast. <laughs> so, so, Laura, obviously you're our sort of paediatric representative. I've been doing paediatrics for a whole two and a half months wow. now. No, so, no, yes. Uh, <laughs> um, she loves paediatrics. <laughs> so I think it's only fair that you, you kick us off with a definition so we talk about fever in under fives. What do you yes. mean by fever? Because actually the guideline doesn't define it, which I think is a little bit strange. But It is strange. For, in my everyday practice, fever... For the is, past two months. For the past two months. <laughs> so a temperature over 38, I would say, 38 and over, mm. is, a, is a fever. However, when you're talking about teeny tiny babies, mm. premature babies, sometimes you stretch it a bit lower than that to 37... Six and above. So the, the neonatal period. Yeah, less than four it, weeks. Yeah, I would, okay. I would, I would stretch it to th- if they've got a temperature of thirty-seven six, yeah. you'd be a bit wary that it might okay. be creeping up. So you have to be so careful in that population period, yeah. you? So you're more risk averse. Yeah, would that trigger a, a septic screen at that stage, or it would trigger a senior review. Senior, okay. Someone like you, Matt. Not for a neonate. You're a senior life. My my response to a neonate is it's very small. I have to call the paediatric <laughs> team straight away. It's, uh, I think that's a very safe way to manage babies. Um, so how do you, how do you check temperatures? How do you about that? Joe, you, you probably did this yourself. We're, we have staff for that. It comes up all the time in like podcasts. We're sort of like, yeah, yeah. like uh, you know. ECG is the classic sort of guy. I'd, I, when you request an ECG, and you're like, oh, I have to do them myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'm just a lowly primary care provider. I have to do one myself. So how do we check temperatures in, in younger children? I, I guess we get all sorts of you know, parents coming through, don't we? And they're saying, oh, you know, our, our child's got fever. And there's all sorts of crazy devices out there on the divorce devices that you can kind of shine on, shine on the head. There's yeah, infrared the, type yeah, sensors. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure about the accuracy of those. Not they're inaccurate. Uh, inaccurate. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Lauren. Um, so there are uh, there are devices that you can put under the tongue. I think for younger children, again, probably quite inaccurate. And I think the guidance is more more suggests uh, tympanic um, temperature over four weeks is better for your tympanic because I think usually, I mean, usually I, I have a tympanic. I don't know how you. Check these uh, well, as well. because oh, no, we have such tiny babies, we do we do auxiliary yeah, sure. yeah temperatures. Mm. Yeah, and it, the rule of thumb I was taught from the nurses when I have occasionally had to take temperatures is what? if you don't <laughs> make the baby cry, you haven't done it properly. Oh gosh, oh, okay, yeah, all right. Because I think it's quite uncomfortable shoving it. Yeah. Right, so you've got to get it right up yeah. in there. Okay, yeah. right, okay. Mm. Right. thinking about what 
what we've just had a chat about and reading off the um, NICE guidelines. So under four weeks of age, you're really wanting to have a look at auxiliary temperatures and over four weeks of age, you can go for the, the, the sort of standard tin paddock that's more of a, um, more what, what, what we're using, yeah. sort of primary care and ED, isn't it? It's yeah. easier, possibly a bit, a bit less invasive. Um, and, and you sort of picked, you made the point really that parents will often say, oh, my kid's got a temperature. Yeah. You know, what, how do we deal with that sort of that parental reporting of a, of a fever? Is that is that a valid do we count that as a fever or? I think it's a, I think it's very valid and you have to take note of when a parent has stated that their child has had a fever because we know that fevers fluctuate and they spike. Yeah. So just because they present without one, who's to say they haven't given them a dose of cowpole and the, the temps come down. So um, I definitely don't, I would never dismiss a parent saying their child has had a fever if they don't have one when they're sat in front of me. It's a good point as well because kids' temperatures are very receptive to paracetamol and ibuprofen. Mm. So it does tend to come down very quickly. Yeah, that's true. Mm. And their symptoms based on temperature as well changes massively. Mm. Kids, if they have got a fever, do tend to present very, very differently to an hour mm. later when they've had some paracetamol and their temperature's in the normal range. Yeah, definitely. So a key part of the the guidelines is carrying through of the traffic light system, which you may or may not have heard of, but we use it in our local guidelines here in Truro as well, in our big six guidelines, um, childhood fever. So What's the big six? Gastroenteritis, head injury. So it's like your standard big six stuff that comes in. Yeah, all those big six. So it's big six. Of which you can name four. (laughs) (laughs) Asthma, croup. Yeah. Anyway, okay, we're talking about childhood <laughs> Five, fever. Five, six, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be quiet. <laughs> we're talking about childhood fever. Anyway, um, so as it as it sounds like it would, it's a traffic light system split into green, amber, and red signs, or low, intermediate, and high risk signs. Yeah, I think um, we can quickly say on that point. Obviously, podcast isn't the best way to view some of this material. So no, definitely we'll not. We'll pop a link in the show notes for the audio files, and mm-hmm. if you're watching the new YouTube videos, we'll pop a picture up now. Which mm-hmm. will be, I'm now talking over what would be a picture. Talking no, you can see your hands. No, I, no again, yeah, yeah, <laughs> there they are. I don't know why I'm doing that. <laughs> Editing. Anyway, this hasn't. This traffic light um, table hasn't actually changed from the previous guideline. Yeah. It's exactly the same. Um, but the key takeaway point for anyone who hasn't seen it or used it before is that any single high-risk or red feature means an urgent referral to paediatric specialist. I've saw that, and I've, I've read that, and you know, and I see a lot of kids in practice, and Joe certainly we see a lot of kids in our practice. Does it happen? I mean, any red flag feature mm-hmm. requires an urgent referral to paediatric specialist. No, I think they'd be very angry. Yeah, and I think that, yeah, that's absolutely right. I think mm-hmm. a lot of... We, we do get, you know, paediatrics generally are very accepting... Um, yeah, oh, specialty. Yes. But we do if you do get a reasonable amount of pushback a lot of the time, mm-hmm. certainly when it's when it's one feature and, yeah. and the department's busy. You know, one of the for, for, for colour, you know, if you see a, a pale child, lots of children. Every child. Yeah. Every child that comes yeah. in. And, got and, 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 and it's also, you know, it's is that modern history? Britain though, isn't it? Yeah. Is it what? Modern Britain. Modern Britain. But it's <laughs> <laughs> I'm not biting. <laughs> um, it's uh, you know does that mean reported by the by the family yeah. you know because yeah. we don't see yeah. this child often well we don't see this child at all and um, and actually pretty much every every um, uh, parent that I speak to says their child it looks pale with flushed yeah. cheeks yeah. and and so I think it's I think what you're trying to say Matt 
um, but not very effectively, is that... Um, <laughs> sorry, you, And now you're also cutting my finger. <laughs> and so I think what you're trying to say, Matt, is um, that it's, it's all within the context, isn't it? So you actually, yeah. you've, yeah. you've actually got to have one of those red, red flag features and possibly a bit of a kind of gestalt sort of, um, I'm a bit concerned, yeah. and, and maybe a, um, some sort of febrile context, you know. Mm. But... To be fair, there are certain things on there, like a bulging fontanelle, but in any sort yeah. of presentation, if I, even if I wasn't, didn't have any other symptoms, it, that would be a concern for me. So yeah. I think you just have to take all of these things into consideration yeah. alongside how the patient's visiting. Moderate or severe chest injury or chest recessions. Yeah. I, mean, I see a lot of kids who have moderate recession. It's winter. I have a viral juice or croup. A lot of those I will not get synergently by sure. a paediatric. Yeah. And again, it changes massively for how old they are. So it talks yeah. about kind of ingoing with chest. Yeah. From a stop being just purely cartilaginous. Yeah. Mm. When they breathe, it goes in a bit. Yeah. But yeah, and a key one on there when we were talking about fever is babies under three months, even if they appear otherwise not too unwell, if they have a temperature yeah. mm. over 38, they need a referral. Yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, all of these symptoms and signs need to be taken into context um, where the patient is in front of you. Yeah, so I think the red, the red sort of high-risk features are pretty, you know, pretty clear. You know, realistically, you're probably going to get some senior advice you know, anyway. And the features? Do we need to be worried about those particularly? Again, it's in the context of, of yeah. what this child looks like and how they're behaving. But a key, another key point is any amber features that you don't have a clear diagnosis or source of infection. Um, you do need to either be safety netting these parents really clearly or seek further advice mm. from a paediatrician. A bit of context is interesting, is it so? Poor urine output is quite common in the setting of a child who's okay. got gastroenteritis. Yeah. So I'm not going to be referring that patient. It's a bit vague, it reduced urine output. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't give us anything. It doesn't give, give us anything yeah. really, does it? And I, I suppose that's a symptom of the fact that Pete's covers quite a long, quite yeah. a wide area where actually the table would be gigantic, <laughs> wouldn't yeah. it? If you started doing age by yeah. page by age. But a reduced urine output. As long as it's got a sign of, right, well, this patient's clearly got a gastroenteritis that we've diagnosed, we've watched and waited, mm-hmm. they can take PO fluids. Yeah. Yeah. That amber flag is now something that's manageable. Yeah. But actually, if and we the don't. Of, yeah. of red flag. And Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, actually, but, but if it's a reducer and output and we don't know why and it's a source, it then becomes quite a significantly mm-hmm. more sort of amber flag that we need to refer on to. Yeah. And so, this is that grey zone, isn't it, where you have to kind of put it alongside a diagnosis. And that's when safety netting becomes so yeah. important. Yeah. I think it, particularly from peds, they're very good at saying, okay, again, particularly when kids are still in nappies, mm. they're very good at saying exactly what they mean by reduced, reduced urine output. Mm. So if a kid usually has, you know, eight a day, mm. if they're drinking very well, and it goes down to kind of five or six. To a pediatrician, that's, that's not something they're too concerned about. Mm-hmm. I get worried if they've got less than two a day. Yeah. Mm. That definitely used to be the same with, uh, it's difficult because I, I did my training all back in Hull. Famously, people from Hull don't urinate. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's difficult. <laughs> but it's, but uh, it, we've got very, you know, different guidelines. It's different. Yeah, different units. Different guidelines. It's what I meant. Different ladders. Yeah. Just a little bit better. Yeah, just different expectations. <laughs> Maybe character building meant something different up there. <laughs> no, I'm including something different. I, I think yeah, the key the key is guideline though, it's, it's not yeah. it's not rule. Yeah. It's a guideline and, and I think what we're trying to allude to is including the clinical context. Yeah. Nice guidelines are, are you know, great generally, but take into the clinical context, speak with your seniors and 
I think the rest of this actually, um, there, there are some pertinent things that we just need to have a talk about, but maybe actually we could do this in terms of I'm just going to ask you questions. Matt, and or Laura, and or Keith. I didn't agree to this. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this is for my game, really. What's the relevance of the duration of the fever in terms of whether, it's, uh, whether it correlates to how severe an infection is? Or I'll take this one off. Uh, <laughs> no correlation <laughs> at all, okay. Does it? So, so the duration of the fever doesn't have a correlation? No, I think that it's quite a common misconception is that if, uh, particularly for parents with first, their first kids, mm. you say, oh, you know, They've only been feverish for you know, a couple of hours. They're not very worried about it, regardless of how high. Mm. Whereas if it's been up for you know, a few days, they start getting more worried mm. about it. Mm. But just, from our medical perspective, yeah. it's nonsense. <laughs> it's quite <laughs> <not> aggressive. <laughs> okay, nonsense. Okay, so that's that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> could, you be clear, could you be a little bit clear about that? Could I be clear about that? So, um, okay, so that's duration of fever. Something that I'm interested in is height fever. So I'm aware that above 41.5 starts to get into the uh, perspective where allegedly there's some sort of brain protein denaturation, and that's where it actually starts to get pretty significant. Does the height of a fever, can I tell whether it's a bacterial or viral infection based on the height of the fever? No. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) This this Q&A is going really well. (laughs) No, next question. Um, Why? I have no idea. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> right, let's ask that, let's ask that again. I think generally it's because viral the higher. Yeah, it, it, it higher depends on the body system that's being infected as well. So kids can get incredibly high temperatures from a UTI, mm. particularly they shoot right up, mm. and that's bacterial. Yeah. Whereas if it's a low respiratory tract infection, um, it tends to be viral that pushes the temperature up higher than bacteria. Mm. So it's based on different uh, organisms yeah. as well as different body systems. Yeah. Mm. So it's not. A that's why it's a bit of a grey. Yeah, and that's why I ask because I think there's there's some traditional um, thinking with so things like if you look at fever pain, for example, for sore throats, mm. temp- they talk about fever over thirty eight mm. being a sign that it's bacterial. Mm. And so one would think, okay, um, this this sounds like more bacterial if, if every child has got a higher temperature. But then there is also classic teaching that yeah. viral. Um, you say classic to mean old. No, I, I don't know. Just kind of a um, contemporary, okay, contemporary teaching where where viral viral infections give you a high fever. But I actually think that yeah, that, that, that there's a significant variance in actually what um, what disease you have, and so I just think it's worth getting it out there because um, relying on an observation to give you a diagnosis of this or that, I think is is dangerous, but 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 difficult, and especially because fever is so, such a big thing for parents, isn't it? I yeah. speak to parents on the phone all the time and say, but the fever is this, and that doesn't really matter to us. Mm. It's more about how that fever is making the child appear. So does that reducing their feeding? Mm. Okay, I have another question. Yeah, paracetamol or ibuprofen? Both. And, yeah, straight in there, Laura, go on then. Both staggered, ideally. Yeah, well, I mean, I would, I'd usually start with Calpol, mm-hmm. um, but if... You mean paracetamol? Yeah, paracetamol, sorry, no branding yeah. here. This, this podcast isn't sponsored by any particular branding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we we gain no financial Other incentive. brands are available. I would start with paracetamol. Thank okay. you. Um, and if that wasn't getting the fever under control, yeah. I wouldn't hesitate to give ibuprofen mm-hmm. as well. Good. So I don't, I don't know if it's just me, but I feel like staggered dosing, yeah. whilst theoretically as good, is challenging for the parents and quite often I'll advise them to do both. How do you feel about that? 
or double dose paracetamol proof at the same mm. time. The, the, the point of staggered dosing is that fevers make kids feel horrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you if you stagger the dosing, even if you never fully achieve an apyrexia, mm. a, a kid constantly at the temperature of thirty seven eight, it will be a happier yeah. child. I agree. Yeah. And I, I, there's nothing really in the nice guidelines about it, yeah. um, which is a bit disappointing. But I think from from practice, from my experience, I prefer staggered dosing. Sure. Mm-hmm. If I suppose then it's about looking at the parents and thinking, is this something that's going to be complicated? Mm. Because there's quite a complicated, um, yeah. you know, child. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's reasonable thing to say, it's, and it is it's dependent on the parents as well. Mm. So I don't think you can kind of say I always go for staggered or I always go for one off. Yeah, based on how complex, uh, complex I guess yeah. the parents are going to find it. Mm. I mean, we we try and discharge them with a with a, a written leaflet that yeah. says your next dose of ibuprofen is. Five mils at this time, mm. and your next dose of capo is this at uh, this time, mm. or paracetamol. Uh, <laughs> whoops! <laughs> <laughs> um, and that, that works quite well. It's written down. It's yeah. clear sort of timings of day. This is really helpful if, if you know that information is difficult for you to digest as a parent. I have one more question. Okay. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I'm not the only one running my eyes. <laughs> so um, these are well, these are questions that the parents are essentially asking you without asking. You. Okay. So, um, parents are either aware of febrile convulsions or their child may ha- may or may not have had one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This uh, these parents come in. Their child has had a previous febrile convulsion six mm-hmm. months ago um, after um, sparking a fever. Mm-hmm. He's now had a fever of thirty eight point five that they can't get down. They think he's going to have another febrile convulsion because the mm-hmm. fever is so high. Mm-hmm. Does the height of the fever um, correlate to the likelihood of having another febrile convulsion? Uh, not. Necessarily, it's, it's often due to the, it's more of a rapid rise. It's the thing that often triggers a febrile convulsion rather than a one-off temperature, you know, rather than the, the height of the fever, as you, as you describe it. Agree? I agree. Well, that's that's good, good, because that's what I tell, that's what I tell parents. <laughs> oh, yeah. so I don't have to now go back and um, backdate everyone that I've told about that. But yeah, that's what I say. So she I said no, and what <laughs> yeah. she suddenly get on the phone. <laughs> What we're going to move on to now is that the, there are some diagnoses to um, to be considered that are, that nice actually specify. Um, we're going to play another game, aren't we, Joe? Yeah, we're going to gamify <laughs> this podcast. So, really, what we're looking at is um, uh, some some specific significant viral or serious bacterial infections, which are, which is often sort of abbreviated to SVIs that we need to sort of look out for. So, I'm going to play a game. Uh, where I'm the patient, and I'm going to give you a few fun facts as right. to what I'm presenting with, and somebody has to. I'm going to mix this up so that it's not. Um, Is it all about right that? Yeah, <laughs> sounds like a stat dose of fun. And, <laughs> so what I want you guys to say. Is when you've got it, I want you to say stop, and then say the answer. Fingers on the buzzers. I'm seven years old. Stop. <laughs> just ask me to stop. <laughs> I'm seven years old. I've had a low grade fever and I'm limping. What am I? Septic arthritis. No, you haven't pressed us. You. Septic arthritis. Okay. Stop it for me. So, yeah, septic arthritis. So, we want to look out for um, uh, uh, pediatric patients with swelling of, the, in the, um, of a limb or joint um, or if they're not using their extremity. Um, a particular extremity or their non-weight bearing is a really important yeah. diagnosis to consider. Yes, it's most common in the hip. Yeah. Yeah. That's where you most commonly see it. That is bizarrely painful. Okay. Yeah. Not to be confused with reactive arthritis. Which is different. Which is different. Post-viral, normally. Post. Um, 
reaction about two two to six weeks, I think, yeah. post an infection where you get basically arthritis in a it's normally a unilateral joint, yeah. but often in the hands and uh, knees and hips. But they should be apyrexial. They should stage. be well yeah. with a well limp. with a yeah. Next round, next round. Next next We're actually hovering over medicines. <laughs> <laughs> I am a young patient. I have a rash. The rash is polymorphous, and I also have some red eyes and a fever. Bong. Let's <laughs> 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 just stop. <laughs> Uh, Kawasaki's. Okay, good. So um, Kawasaki's disease is one of those diseases that we're constantly on the lookout for, but it's actually quite rare, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I don't, yeah. don't, don't say it very commonly, but Kawasaki's disease is um, something we really need to be conscious of, particularly in um, patients who have a fever for over five days. Matt, I don't know if you ever see anyone that doesn't have a fever over five days, because loads of my patients have Kawasaki disease, according to a lot of these criteria. <laughs> the, 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 the key is it's the... The consistency of fever. Yeah. So if, if they if they're consistently above thirty eight, fine. Yeah. If they're thirty eight one day and they've checked it again, it was thirty seven five the following day, and then it went yeah. back up again. Yeah. That's what, that's the difference when you get sort of a report of they've had a fever for a week. Actually, yeah. they have, they've had a fever. They're not. They're back. Yes. They're not. So consistent fever for five days, and there are some other features of Kawasaki. So um, they'll, they'll quite often have the bilateral um, conjunctival injections and it will be without excess. It won't look like your sort of classic um, conjunctivitis. Um, so strawberry tongue is, is quite often a sort of hallmark finding, isn't it? And sort of dryness and cracking and erythema in and around the, the oral mucosa. Um, so edema and erythema of the hands or feet and quite often, I mean, the common, more common findings, I think, are cervical lymphadenopathy and yeah. this kind of polymorphous rash that, yeah. that comes out. So, um, yeah, so it's probably an autoimmune mediated systemic vasculitis, although it's not entirely clear the etiology and pathophysiology. So, something, something to be aware of. Um, Kawasaki disease, I think management is um, immunoglobulin and aspirin. Yes, yeah, it's IV immunoglobulin. But the main thing we get worried about are the coronary artery aneurysms, and that's why we give aspirin. Although, obviously, this will be under the advice of paediatrics and probably a paediatric cardiologist, really. Which is super dodgy, isn't it? Because you're yeah. race syndrome. Yeah. Yeah, you do, but I mean, the risk of the risk of rate is quite, you know, it's risk versus yeah. benefit. I have a fever. I've been unwell for two days. I've had one vomit with some lower abdominal pain and... Buzz? UTI? It is a UTI. I was just about to say that there were some lower urinary tract symptoms. So... Which lower urinary tract symptoms? I was going to go, I was going to go more for some dysuria. Clearly this is a a little bit more um, prevalent and easier to to gain when actually you've got a child who's talking. Eight, nine, ten, you know. And that's when I started talking. Um, (laughs) Never stopped since. Um, yeah, but but yeah. So so vomiting, poor feeding, sort of lethargy and irritability for for um, urinary tract infection are probably some of those some of the more of the signs that you're going to get. And actually, one of the most uh, common bacterial infections to find when there's a fever without a source is is UTI, essentially, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. Um, particularly when coming in from primary care and things like that, where it's actually really difficult to do like urine catches and things like that on yeah. these on these children and, and work them up properly. It's a pain in my life when I do paediatrics, I don't know, when you get into general pain pains, yeah. constantly, it's calling parents three days down the line saying, oh, that urine sample we sent has grown in E. coli, how is your child? If they're not, you know, we should probably have some trimethoprim or some amoxicillin or whatever it's sensitive to. One more, uh, one more for you fun, uh, fun quiz lovers. Thank God for that. So, I 
I'm an ill-looking child, I've got a prolonged capillary refill time, and my neck is stiff. Buzz, meningitis. Yeah, so meningitis, uh, so this is the one that we're all really, really concerned about. Um, a lot of children will get referred for this, um, uh, for, for workup for a kind of query meningeal um, type symptoms if they if they're looking unwell out of proportion yeah. is, is really kind of what we see, isn't it? Um, but common features are neck stiffness, bulging fontanelles in those where in, 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 you know, you're in your under twos, reduced LOC. It's always funny when I see kind of convulsive status epilepticus. It's not, that's very clear, isn't it? That that child's very, very unwell. Yeah, I mean, that, um, that's probably not, that's probably more of a meningoic ephelitis yeah, if you're yeah. seeing prolonged seizures. Yeah. Um, but, but essentially a very ill looking child with a history of um, fever. Um, neck stiffness, and most importantly, we're looking for that purpuric rash, aren't we? So non-blanching rash, yeah. purpuric or petechial. Not not all non-blanching rashes, obviously, are are meningococcal. Um, mm. But I think that's something to um, in an ill-looking child. I think that's oh, yeah. something that needs to be ruled out once you've been observing <laughs> that child for a long time, and they'll probably yeah. already get um, a septic workup. At the moment of suspicion, yeah. Ben Pen or Keftraxin yeah. or, yeah. or whatever, you, you know, straight in, if it has to be IM. Just get it in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Straight away, it ruins the cultures, but whatever. Um, I think on that on that point, as you mentioned, mentioning seizures, herpes simplex colitis is one of the things we should be aware of as well. Sorry, no, no buzzing in there. You often get a preceding viral illness that can progress to encephalitis, which may present with reduced level of consciousness, focal neurological signs, and seizures, as we were just mentioning. And really, these children need a lumbar puncture as soon as possible, really, as well as a cyclovirus treatment. So that's a sort of the, the quick run through of the fever and under fives NICE guidelines updated November 2019. Hope it was helpful. Um, I sort of think a few quick key summary points before we attempt a witty sign off. Joe, um, your key take away message? Yeah, I think use that use the traffic light system because it's really helpful. Yeah. Um, and with your amber flags, because we're always wondering what to do with the grey area, isn't it? When you have red flags, it's easy. When you have no red flags at all, it's easy. It's the amber ones. So if you have an amber red flag that's something that's easily manageable and you can give good safety netting advice, and those children are quite often safe to go ahead. We go for quite a short and sharp one. That's a fever. We can basically define as being above 38 degrees in a child. I'm going to follow on from what you said and mention that an important red flag that a lot of people don't necessarily realise is that a temperature under three months of 38 degrees or above needs a referral. I think I will go for guidelines do not overrule clinical acumen. So clinical suspicion, get your senior review, get a paediatric review if you consent. Yeah, talk to your friendly paediatrician because they're mm. one of the most accepting professions because... Yeah. This is a very grey area. And basically universally friendly. Yeah. Yeah. Witty sign-off, anybody? Anybody anybody volunteers for witty sign-off? I think I'll just end by saying don't get too hot under the collar about this subject. Be chill.